This is Sarah. And this is Emily. And this is Sisters Take a Side, all about the Rillington Place Strangler. Hi, Em. Sarah, she's back. I'm back, you guys. She's back behind that mic, and we missed you, my friend. Oh, I missed you guys, too. I know. I am a poor substitute for the great Mike, who the one, I have The to, only. I know. He very graciously stepped in for me last week, and I greatly appreciate it. So. Yes. But I missed you. I missed a little I miss you, too. And... You guys, we're supposed to be dropping an episode this week with an interview with the amazing Nancy Moscatello from Scamanda, but fate had other plans. Fate said, you guys are getting a little too big for your britches. That's exactly what fate said. And it slapped us, slapped us hard in the form slapped of... Slapped us right in the rib, you could say. right in the fucking rib. Um, I was out... For my training run for my marathon, because guys, you know, I'm running a marathon. Can't say that enough. Yeah. And in case anyone didn't know. In case anyone didn't know, I was five miles in and your girl took a tumble. Your girl took a Just, big tumble. Do you want to tell the listeners what happened to you? Um, I mean, I don't know how to say it other than the devil works hard, but I work harder, guys. And... I was just running along, and all of a sudden, I was laying on the ground, <laughs> gasping for breath. Um, I, My poor running girlfriends, if you guys are listening to this, I love y'all. Um, they were like, do we call 911? What's happening to you? As I'm like laying there gasping for breath. Um, and yeah, I have a fractured rib. <laughs> So, so yeah. So, yeah. So, that happened the day that we were supposed to record our interview with Nancy. So, I was in bed on painkillers and unable to record. Um, for so, good reason. <laughs> for good reason. So, we had to reschedule with Nancy. So, that's going to be coming for you guys soon. But I've mustered the courage. I have crawled out of bed. And I am here, Sarah, to hear your case. Oh, well, thank you so much. And, um, yeah, we, you know, we really wanted to give that interview our all, and yes, um, I didn't feel right doing it without you. Um, we were both so excited about it. I know we teased the listeners so much about it on social media, so we it's like apologize. Bill, it's like Bill and Monica all over again. It is. It's like the big fake out of 2023 for the eighth time, so... We appreciate you guys for everyone who submitted a question. Thank you so much. Um, don't you worry. We will get those answered. We're going to get them answered. On this podcast. Yeah. We're so excited. Um, I, Sarah, I just realized I can see you for the first time. Like Sarah's camera hasn't been working for a while, but here you are, girl. And I glory. hear I am in all my, all my something. I don't hear something. I'm here. Um, Sarah, a couple of listeners actually reached out and like was sending you lots of love last week when Aww. Mike was on the show in your place. So we want to thank you guys. And if you want to continue to send Sarah your love because she deserves it, how would you do that? You guys are so, so kind. I really appreciate it. It was, um, it was a little bit of a tough week, but you can either send us an email. We now have an official email checker, by the way. Oh my God, guys, we do. For real, Mike is <laughs> monitoring the email for us. Yeah. So um, send us an email and make Mike's whole day um, at sisters.take.a.side at gmail.com or reach out and slide into our DMs on Instagram Ew. at sisterstakeaside underscore podcast. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, oh, God, it hurts to breathe. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Um, Are you going to get through this? I don't know. I don't know. But tell me a story about a horrible crime and to cheer me up. Okay. So today, Emily, I am bringing you a case I don't think you know anything about. I, yeah, on your little intro, I had no idea what you're talking about. Okay. If you want to hop into our notes, um, you will see that we are actually covering John Reginald Christie, otherwise known as... The Rillington Place Strangler. I've never heard Ever of this. Heard of him? Okay. No. Well, because here, because here's the thing. If it involves someone like creepy crawling like into people's houses in the middle of the night and killing them, it, you know that's not my thing. Oh, no. It's so much worse than that. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Don't make me laugh too hard. I have a fractured rib. <laughs> okay. Ow. Um, 
Yeah. So, okay. The Rillington Play Strangler. Ever heard of him? Um, you probably have not because this week we're actually headed across the pond to the UK. Ahoy, and me. And <laughs> we are going to be talking about a leading case in the debate to abolish the death penalty in the UK. Oh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I might know this case. You know Wait how, a I'm, minute. You know, I'm like super into the death penalty and whether or not we should have it. So, okay. This is great. Tell me everything. Okay. All right. So, who is the Rillington Place Strangler? Enter John Reginald Christie, or Reg, as he was known to friends if you're spicy. Ooh. John Christie is an English serial killer um, who was active during the 1940s and early 1950s. So, we're going way back in time. Hop in your little time machine because we're going back. John is accused of murdering eight people, including his wife, Ethel, by strangling them inside his flat at 10 Rillington Place, Notting Hill, London. Don't like that. Because murder in his own home just wasn't enough for our friend John, he also kept his bodies in his home. Ooh. Like that at all. Three victims were found in a wallpapered kitchen alcove. Two Ew. more victims were found buried outside in the garden. And his wife's body was found beneath the floorboards in their front room. Whoa. Jesus. So, okay. All right. Okay. So, Emily. Okay. Do me a favor and okay. Google a picture of John Christie. If you type in John okay. Christie, it will, it yeah, will pull he, him directly okay. up. He popped right up. Uh, my guy's got Don't a big Don't read fo- ahead. No, not reading ahead, but my guy's got a big forehead. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> He's got a five um, head. He's got a five head. Um, Doesn't he look like a serial killer, though? He lo- that's what I was about to say. He like if he came up to me in a bar and was like, "Hey, girl," I'd be like, "Fucking bye, get out of here." Right. He looks yeah. like a serial killer with his little glasses. Um, oh, here's a picture of him and what I'm assuming is his wife Ethel. She's cute. Um, yeah, no, he looks like a murderer. I'm sorry, but he okay. does. So, Good. Oh. All right. So <clears throat> let's start at the beginning. Who is John Christie? John Reginald Christie was born on April 8th, 1899. He's a tourist, go figure. Mm-hmm. In North Northerham, which is a quiet village in North Yorkshire. John was the sixth of seven children. Um, by all reports, had kind of a pretty tough childhood. He was alternately coddled and then bullied by his mother and older sisters. And his father is described as uncommunicative and displayed little emotion towards his children. So mommy issues, check. Daddy issues, check. Um, Older sister issues, check. Older sister issues, check. (laughs) Um, When John John, was somewhere with John, call call me. We can discuss. (laughs) Our John. Oh, yeah, sorry. This is going to be confusing because we got our John and then murder John. Guys, joke's on you. Our John's also a serial killer, I guess. Oh, no. When John, so when murder John, was somewhere between the ages of 8 and 12, the dates are a little iffy here. Some sources say 12, some sources say 8, and it's a little, little iffy. Um, his grandfather, who had actually lived with the family, um, and was suffering through a a long time, long-term illness, Mm -hmm. actually passed away in their home. John is later known to say that seeing his grandfather's body laid out on a trestle table at their home gave him a feeling of power and well-being. Quote, a man I had once feared is now only a corpse. It's fascinating to me. Ew. Okay. 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 Let that haunt your nightmares. Spooky season. Can I take a side on that real quick? Um, sure. I mean, he's not wrong. I'm sorry. What? (laughs) Okay. Like, okay. Stop. You stop making me laugh. This. What? Okay. Think about it. If you. No, I don't want to. I'm good. (laughs) You're afraid of someone, right? You live in fear of someone. And then they're dead. And it's like all of the power is gone. I get that. Hashtag a sister corpse take- is fascinating to you? No. No, no, no. Excuse <laughs> me. No. But that like, he, what he's saying that this person he once feared is now powerless. That, I understand that. That resonates with me. 
I wish you guys could see Sarah's face right now. Okay. Well, now I'm concerned about you. Okay, great. <laughs> Continue on. Okay. Anyway, um, as a child, John was often described by peers as a queer lad and not very popular. you got to love the, the British of a it all, you know? queer lad. Okay. I mean. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Gosh. My whole mic just fell over. Okay, that scared me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm John sorry. is haunting us and, and knocking he over is. your mic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so despite being called queer, a queer lad and not very popular, that didn't stop John from actually being a pretty bright kid. He ended up receiving a scholarship to a secondary school where he excelled in math, especially algebra. Cannot relate. No, me neither. History and woodwork. John later attended boarding school for the love of God. He's okay. haunting me. The ghost of That's joy. just what I fucking need this week. You're doing some work. Okay. Okay. John, we come in. John pe- later <laughs> attended boarding school where he sang in the choir and was a Boy Scout. So that's cute. Okay. Adolescence, on the other hand, was very tough for Ira Guy John. His nickname, because kids are the worst, was, quote, Reggie No Dick and oh. Can't Do It Christy. Oh yeah. So John, our dear old John, Mike, it's Sarah that's saying that. John, I'm on your side so far. Okay. I'm just reporting facts here. Our dear old John had a big impotence problem, and oh. his first attempts at sex were at like complete failures. And it sounds like we're just dogging this guy Same. at this point. <laughs> but like this, this actually like comes back. So. Wait a minute. I but like, what is he? He's a teenager at this point. Come- well, what? spoiler alert, this becomes a lifelong problem oh. for him. All right. Sorry, John. He could only perform mm-hmm. with... Now, all the sources use the word prostitute. Um, we know now they're yeah, called we sex use, workers. Yeah, we call, you call them sex workers. Yeah. Um, but yikes. Like, yikes on bikes. So just... I'm only mentioning this here because Mom. it is going to come back. Next, a brick is going to fall on your head. You better be careful. Listen, at this John point, listening to you. <laughs> at this point, Emily, I I got nothing to lose. I take that back. I do. I'm just guys. We don't have time. Continue. We don't have time. Anyway, so in 1960, can't do it. Christie said, "F this," and he joined the army at age 17. He was sent to France uh, just a few months before World War One ended. And was caught in a mustard gas attack. Oh. John, who, like, has been reported a couple times as actually having, like, a personality disorder where he, like, exaggerates. It's like the, it's like the flip side of Munchausen's syndrome where, like, you Uh over-exaggerate, like, health things to get attention. Hmm. Um... But he reports that the mustard gas attack left him blind and mute for three and a half years. Now, the army, on the other hand, says, no, girl, you would not have been discharged from the hospital after just a mere month if you'd remained a mute. So, girl, bye. Okay. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. In October 1919, John was um, uh, discharged from the army. He later joined the Royal Air Force in December of 1923, but he only lasted six months before he was discharged in August 1924. Do we know why? Um, it's not reported why, but it, it's, they were poor, like, poor goodbye. can't do it. Christy can't even go. Poor can't do it. Christy can't do anything. This is okay. I mean, All right. Um, so I want to stop here. What do you think about our friend John so far? I mean, so far I'm feeling terrible for him. Okay. Like, I mean, you did kind of, you kind of lay the groundwork there saying that he like had dead people in the floorboards, but like, this sounds terrible. He was like bullied by his parents. He was just fucking destroyed by the kids at school that sounds awful um he saw combat in world war one like that's so like right now i'm kind of like john girl you keep yeah. knocking over sarah's mic she's doing you dirty here. okay well let so... me see. okay I, everyone note that's what emily said at the beginning of this okay? i'm gonna cut that if he turns out to just be an absolute monster okay <laughs> 
So in between John's military services, he actually ends up getting married. So on May 10th, 1920, John marries Ethel Simpson in a very romantic setting at the Halifax Town Registrar's Office. Hey, don't hate the elopers of the world. Okay. Okay. This marriage from the immediate start was not a pleasant one. John is still visiting sex workers, and early on in their marriage, Ethel actually suffers a miscarriage that she blames on John. She, okay. Why am I defending John? Why am I? I like, don't excuse know. me, Ethel. <laughs> Just wait. The couple initially lived in Sheffield, um, and most friends and neighbors would say that Ethel was actually terrified of her husband, and she only stayed with him out of fear, which like gross. About four years into their marriage, the couple actually separate. John pieces out to London. He claims Ethel had an affair, but, like, it's not corroborated, so no one knows if that's actually the truth. And Ethel ends up staying with her siblings in Sheffield. The couple were separated for about a decade, but reunited again in 1934 when they moved to Rillington Place. But what did our dear John do during that decade? So glad you asked. Let's enter John's criminal act, early criminal activity, which includes in January 1921, he got his first conviction for stealing postal orders when he was working as a postman. You guys do not fuck with the mail. Dude, we have been, how many times have we been over this? How many times? Don't fuck with the mail. He was, he was incarcerated for three months because of that. Jesus. January 1923, second conviction for obtaining, obtaining money on false pretenses and violent conduct. 12 months probation. That seems to know what that means. Light? Yeah. Well, I don't... Violent... Con- okay. All right. Okay. In 1924, he had two separate incidences of larceny in which he received three and six, respectively, months imprisonment. May 1929, he's convicted of assaulting Maud Cole, um, a woman that he was living with at the time. He received six months hard labor. Now, you guys, he hit Maud over the head with a cricket bat. Oh, okay. Six months hard labor? Hard labor. I'm just like, I have Johnny Cash like playing in my I do too. I do too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I need more information about what it means when you're sentenced to hard labor. Yeah. And then in 1933, he was convicted of auto theft. Um, He stole a priest's car. What? Priest? <laughs> Why did my mind just immediately go to a priest can drive? <laughs> Imagine like you roll up to the grocery store and a well, priest pulls in behind you in like some sick like sports car. I have serious questions about that, but okay. Yeah. Um. He received three months of jail time for that. That seems light. Except for light, you know. <laughs> some of these seem real tough. Six months hard labor, and then some of these seems real confusing. light. I don't. I'm confused. Yeah, you can't okay, explain we, yourself. We need to talk because I'm confused. <laughs> okay, so once John was finally released from prison in 1934, he and Ethel, like I said, they re- they reconcile and they move into the top floor apartment or flat, if you're fancy, in 1937. Um, uh, then this is at the 10 Rillington Place. Okay. Um, this was not a nice place, y'all. Notting Hill at this time is described as a pretty rundown area of London. Mm-hmm. And the house, a three-story brick end terrace, was like kind of a piece of crap. Like, do you remember that place I lived in my last year of college? Do I ever? Okay. Do I ever? That's what the, I'm the, imagining. The place where I had to stay where I had mono for two weeks and like no one would come pick me up from college. No, that was my nice apartment. <laughs> Okay, that place was kind of also a piece of crap. Okay. Okay, relax. Oh, you mean the place you lived in your sophomore year? No, my very last year that I graduated out of. I don't, well, I don't think I ever stayed there. Okay, well. I have no idea what you're talking about. Wait, you, oh my, I'm like, you lived somewhere before, that I didn't know about? Yes. You would no. have seen it when I graduated. Oh my you lived in the nice apartment with your four friends. Then before that, you lived in the house where – do you remember they were, like, doing drugs in the kitchen? And mom was like, Sarah, I'm going to call the landlord and get you out of that lease. Yeah, that was terrifying. <laughs> and then you lived in that – okay, anyways, why are we talking about this? Anyway. All right. Well, that's what I'm kind of imagining when I hear this. Living conditions were described as squalid. 
Um, <laughs> that is no. how I would describe all of these, the, the places hey, that we lived in. in 1106 was beautiful. None oh, of the good. apartments or flats um, had a bathroom. What? So all the occupants of the house had to share a bathroom. No. Gross. Absolutely not. Not only that, but the house sat like almost on top of a train line, like an underground train line, which like people were like people reported like the noise of that would have been like absolutely deafening. So like imagine yeah, that sounds miserable. Yeah. So around the time that John and Ethel moved into Rellington Place, John actually applies and gets the job as a local police officer, to What's- which. HR Sarah is very unpleased by this. this Apparently, has a lot of questions. They missed his not so small criminal record like during this hiring process. I don't explain that to me. Like I don't know how that works. That okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So it's in this police job where he meets Gladys Jones, a woman that he will go on to have an almost decades long affair with. Mm. Um, that affair came to a very swift end when in mid-1943, Gladys's husband returns from World War II, learns of the affair, and swiftly beats the absolute brakes off John. So. Beats the brakes (laughs) off John? He does! (laughs) Boy, bye! I mean, yeah. Okay. Honestly, my, my first thought is, like, Gladys, good for you, girl. You... Uh, I mean, clearly. I mean, you made it out alive. Yeah, clearly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But this is basically the tipping point that begins John's, like, decade and some change murdering spree. Okay, so he wasn't a murderer until Gladys's husband beat the brakes. Yes. I'm going to say that for forever now. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Best. Yeah. Um. So he was they they consider his little spree here from to be a, from about 1943 to 1953. Okay, so um, about 10 years. Yeah, so this gets pretty gruesome. I totally understand if you guys want to like skip ahead to the end here. Um, okay, can I skip ahead to the end? <laughs> Jesus. His MO just as a quick highlight overview Strangling victims after rendering them unconscious with domestic gas and occasionally raping them as they lay unconscious. What the fuck is domestic gas? Oh, just wait. We're going to get into that. So just a little trigger warning. That's kind of where we're heading into, guys. So buckle up. Love this journey. Okay. So the first person that John admits to killing is Ruth First. She was a 21-year-old Austrian munitions worker who moonlighted as a part-time sex worker. John met Ruth when she was soliciting clients in a snack bar. John invited Ruth back to his home. Ethel was out of town? Question mark. Okay. Um, he engaged in sex with Ruth and then strangled her on his bed with a length of rope. Now, initially, John stowed Ruth's body under his floorboards before he later buried her in the back garden, like backyard, Mm-hmm. The following evening. Shortly after murdering Ruth, John resigns from the police department and gets a new job as a clerk at a radio factory, which is where he met his second victim, a colleague of his by the name of Muriel Edie. Wait, so he quit being a police officer to become a clerk yeah. at a... F- well, I have questions, John. One thing about this guy, this guy cannot hold down a steady job. Like, he just absolutely cannot. There's, like, big chunks of time where he's unemployed he that's, but, but like that i mean to because res- kind of to your point like being a police officer really puts you in a position of power which I th- i'm sure would make a lot of this easier it's interesting to me that he would resign yeah well and to like like if he was still a police officer he would know like he would be like know. oh there's a crazy serial killer running around killing people weird crazy yeah yeah right? okay yeah john it's a little I have bit interesting there yeah so, um, in October of 1944, John invites Muriel back to his house, um, under the guise of curing her bronchitis with a, quote, special mixture he concocted at home. What the fuck? John hooked Muriel up to a breathing tube and she started inhaling. What, what? she didn't know was that John inserted a second tube to the jar that she was, like, inhaling out of and started pumping domestic gas into this jar now you asked what is domestic gas yeah well in the 40s domestic gas was coal gas so like you know how we have gas 
stoves here. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I guess back in the day in the UK, they were using coal. Right. And then the gas from the coal, that's like domestic gas. Very good, Sarah. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Um, so this um, domestic gas has a oh. carbon monoxide content of 15%. Sarah, is this a throwback to our very first debate, carbon monoxide versus carbon dioxide? <laughs> I pulled this directly out of Wikipedia. God, we're so still don't getting, come for me. We're still getting shit. We really are. Because <laughs> we're beautiful tropical fish. Um, yeah, so it, it has a carbon monoxide content of 15%. Like, yeah, don't love whoa. that. Muriel, I mean, duh, was soon rendered unconscious. John then raped and strangled her before burying her alongside Ruth in the backyard. Holy moly. Yeah. Now, enter the Evans family. This is all important, so. Oh, God. Uh... Timothy and Beryl Evans moved into the top floor apartment at 10 Rillington Place in the spring of 1948. Shortly after... The Evans welcomed their first child, Geraldine. Things are not as great for the Evans um, as one might think. Timothy, admittedly, is just a hot mess. He and Beryl would have these, like, rip-roaring arguments that, like, everyone was privy to. Um, You know, he would get a little, like, pushy with her. Like, it's just not great. Despite this, the couple soon finds out that they are now expecting their second child. Like, no one is thrilled about this. Like, mm-hmm. she's not, he's not. No one is thrilled. Then, in late 1949, Timothy Evans informs the police that his wife is missing and then informs them again that she's dead. Uh, Timothy okay. <laughs> will go on to tell the police Tim, multiple girl. confessions. Yeah. At one point, he says that John, so our guy John, mm-hmm. killed Beryl in a botched abortion operation. Oh, God. But after multiple questioning events by the police, that should raise a little red flag for you, Timothy, mm-hmm. quote, confesses and says that he put Beryl's body down a manhole into a, like, sewer drain. Mm-hmm. Now, despite mm-hmm. doing a search of said manhole and not finding anything, Police continue to suspect Timothy and his wife's death, and ultimately, a search of Rillington Place, mind you, which is the same place Ethel and John live, same house. Mm-hmm. Um, a search of Rillington Place reveals the bodies of Beryl, Geraldine, and a male fetus. Okay, uh, all right. The bodies were found oh. in an outdoor wash house. Note here. This wash house is in the same backyard garden that John had previously buried his first two victims. The Mm -hmm. garden, by all police accounts, was searched extensively, but not excavated. Like, how closely did you search? I have so many questions right now. (laughs) The most horrifying part of all of this is a femur bone was propping up a fence at the time Mm -hmm. of the searches, and everyone thought it was a stick. Explain that to me. A femur bone? Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's what I need to know. You have this guy, Timothy, being like, gee, I don't know. My wife and our daughter disappeared. That's so weird. I have no idea what happened to them. And you're telling me they ended up being found in an outdoor wash house on their property, and the police never thought to search that beforehand? The police nope. weren't like, oh, that's so weird. Let's take a look around your backyard for your missing wife. Like, what? Nope. <laughs> like, I'm thinking, I mean, this is wrong, but like, you know how in our backyard, Sarah, we have that, like, we have like a garden shed. Like, it's mm-hmm. literally like, you could like touch it from our back door. Yeah. It's like, if I was like, oh, Tom went missing. Like, don't you think the first thing the police would do would be like, well, let's just, I don't know, like, poke around. Like, oh, you look would at think. this shed here. You would yeah. think. so. Like, spoiler alert, like, the cops totally bungle this entire investigation. Like, and yeah, that I mean, should not a, come as a surprise. Femur, there's a femur propping up a Right. So. Like, that should not come as a surprise to anyone. Um, Beryl's body had been wrapped twice in a blanket and then a tablecloth. Both Beryl and Geraldine had been strangled. And Beryl had been physically assaulted prior to her death as evidenced by multiple facial bruising. 
interestingly, Timothy Evans is only convicted for the murder of Geraldine, although mm-hmm. he is charged for the murder of Beryl. So he's only convicted for the murder of his daughter, but he's not okay. convicted, although he is charged for the murder of his wife. Now, I don't know, like, UK law, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know maybe, why. Maybe there just wasn't enough evidence to I mean, convict on. So does does Tim proclaim his innocence? Is he saying he's completely innocent of this? Yes. When he gets charged, he completely recants. He's like, this John did it. Like, he, it was a botched abort John. And John had been like, so, I mean, all these why people are John, sharing. Why is John out here doing abortions? What is happening? Great question. He has a special home mixture that Ew. he concocted. Ew. God. Okay. That would abort her pregnancy. And abortion was illegal at the time. So, you know, it's not like he was going to admit to that. Any, You know, like, it's not like he was going to. Yeah, but he was yeah. heard, like, by multiple people. He had told, like, friends, like, oh, I can help you with that. Like. Ew, why is anyone do well, I'm sorry, what is this a fucking snake man, medicine man in here with his special concoctions? Guys, why is anyone listening to him? He's a, he's a what is it? What did you say he was? He's a he's a clerk at a radio factory. What yeah. Are, what are you doing? I don't know. It's crazy, isn't it? Like okay, I don't all right. Okay. Are we done with this? I don't this guy sucks. Okay. But like so, honestly, like Tim sucks too. I don't like I mean, ugh. Tim's not a great guy, but like Timothy Evans um, is put on trial in 1950. Our friend John is a principal witness for the Crown. He denies all accusations made by Timothy and provided detailed evidence about the arguments between Timothy and Beryl. Despite John's vast criminal record, the jury's like, well, this guy's credible. And they promptly convict Timothy for Geraldine's murder. He was hanged on March 9th, 1950. Bye. Do you think this was a good call? Okay, why, Sarah, I, something is wrong with me. But in my mind, I'm like, Tim sucks. Like, good for John for testifying against him. What's wrong with me? <laughs> wrong with I don't me? know. What's so, they okay. were both strangled. But, okay, but strangulation, that is the most intimate way to kill someone. They always, like, right? If you're strangled, it's most often by someone you know i think it's very likely tim like i i think to say oh well tim tim didn't do this john did this because he was living there i don't think you can say that just because one murderer is living in a place that that means another one's not right like really oh i think it's a hundred percent possible this guy killed his wife and child a hundred percent Wow, I didn't think you were going to take that side, but okay. What is happening to me? I don't know why. I'm like, (laughs) you think that John did this? Yes. (laughs) But but why? Because he's a serial killer. But like, this doesn't fit his MO. Yes, it does. Beryl wasn't raped, right? She wasn't sexually assaulted. They were, it's not, yeah, there was no evidence that she was sexually assaulted. Geraldine is like a child, like a baby, right? Like a toddler. Right? That does not fit his M.O. She's pregnant. That also doesn't fit his M.O. All right. I'm going to re-ask you this at the end. So the the side you're taking now is that Timothy absolutely should have been put to death for well, the murder well, of his well, daughter. No, I don't. You don't. I don't. <laughs> no, no. I don't agree with the death penalty. I don't believe anyone should get the death penalty. But I, I would have found I probably would have found him guilty. Yes. Okay. All right. So if all of that wasn't horrifying enough. John, in, knock over her micro- microphone again. I'm on your side. <laughs> in December 1952, John claims his fifth victim, his wife, Ethel. On the morning of December 14th, 1952, John strangled Ethel in bed and buried her under the floorboards of his apartment. Being unemployed at the time, John sold off his wife's wedding ring, furniture, and clothing, all while telling those who asked after Ethel multiple different stories about where she was. To her relatives in Sheffield, John said that Ethel had rheumatism. To a neighbor, he explained that she was visiting relatives in Sheffield. And to others, he said that Ethel had just taken off for Birmingham. This guy is the worst. Yeah, this guy sucks. 
he only continues to get worse. Between January and March 1953, John murdered three more women at Rillington Place. Oh, wow. Kathleen Maloney, a sex worker. Rita Nelson, who was six months pregnant when she met Mm -hmm. John. And Hectoria McLennan, who actually met John when she was out for a night with her boyfriend, Alex. The three would hang out regularly, and John even let Alex and Hectoria stay in his apartment when they were between homes. John murdered all three women in the same way that he murdered Muriel. Domestic gas, a.k.a. carbon monoxide poisoning, until they were rendered unconscious. He then raped and strangled them. He buried all three women after wrapping them twice in a small alcove behind the back kitchen wall, which he later wallpapered. I, um, I have I have the creepy crawlies. This is disgusting. Okay. So let's get this guy, shall we? On March 20th, 1953, John moved out of 10 Rillington Place, rather hastily, I might add, and illegally sublet his apartment to this random couple. John's landlord Wait, asked... With the bodies, like, in the walls? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. As luck oh would have God. it, John's landlord ended up coming to visit the same evening that John moved out. Upon finding not John in his apartment, the landlord absolutely freaked and demanded that the couple move out. The landlord then allowed an upstairs neighbor, Beresford Brown, incredible name, to use... Word, uh. To use the downstairs kitchen in John's unit. While attempting to nail a shelf into the kitchen wall, dear Beresford starts peeling back some wallpaper and discovers the kitchen alcove and three bodies and promptly alerted the police. See, Sarah, you thought the cicadas in your apartment were bad. Bruh, they are. At least you didn't pull back the wallpaper and find three dead bodies. Yeah, I guess. Uh, unsurprisingly, this launches a six-day citywide manhunt that sends John on the run. For as smart as John was, though, he actually didn't run far. In fact, he was still in London. He was sleeping on park benches, hanging out in cafes, because, of course. But don't worry, he did get a disguise. Um, he changed his coat and his hat after seeing photos of himself in the newspaper. Way to go, John. <laughs> Eventually, thank God, John is apprehended um, at the Putney Bridge in South London after being questioned by a police officer about his identity. John had, among his personal items, newspaper clippings about the remand of Timothy Evans. He's one of those. Yeah. So initially, our guy John only admitted to the murders of the women in the alcove plus his wife, Ethel. Okay. However... The skeletal remains that were in the backyard were mentioned to him, and he admitted to those as well. But that's only six folks. Finally, on April 27, 1953, he confessed to the murder of Beryl Evans, which Timothy had originally been charged with during police investigations in 1949. Interestingly, again, John is only tried for the murder of his wife, Ethel. Even though he confessed to the other one? Yes. So, I don't know. Again, UK lawyers, attorneys call because I have questions about this. I'm just curious why why we're only getting, like, one, you know, one trial here. I don't know. Seems odd to me. Maybe they move forward with the charges that are, like, the most, like, prosecutable? I mean, I don't you know. know. What I, mean? I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Um, so John's trial began on June twenty second, nineteen fifty three. Um, John pled not. Uh, John pled or tried to claim insanity, okay. but a prison doctor testified that while John had a hysterical personality, me he's too. not insane. <laughs> Sarah, how many people have described you and I that way? Too many. <laughs> Um, the jury deliberated for 85 minutes and found John guilty on July 15th, 1953 at 9 a.m. John Christie was hanged and oh, wow. I really don't feel a whole lot about it. So Emily, what do you think? Do you think that he actually uh, murdered Beryl and maybe even possibly Geraldine? No. I think the husband Timothy did it. I think this. I think John is absolutely. I think John is absolutely the kind of person who would take credit for shit he didn't do because he's a narcissist. He's an attention seeker. A hundred percent. Those two murders do not fit his mo 
at all. He had a very, like, clear type and MO. Those two murders don't fit it. I do not think John did that. Is that a hot take? That's a really hot take. Um, Because no one agrees with you. So let's talk about the death penalty. (laughs) Following John's conviction, there was a lot of controversy about the trial of Timothy Evans. A lot of people felt that Timothy, who had been convicted almost entirely based on the testimony of John Christie, was an innocent man who had been hanged. Um, There was so much uncertainty, in fact, that two separate inquiries were opened on Timothy's case. (laughs) And both inquiries found that, like, he was probably innocent. Interesting. It was the second inquiry that was chaired by High Court Judge Sir Daniel Brabin. That ultimately led to conversations and the ultimate suspension and subsequent abolition of capital punishment in the United Kingdom. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know what is going on. I feel like, okay. I feel like this is a very non-Emily take on this. It is. I'm, I am actually very shocked about this. But here, I keep going back to this. I think the MO is too different so you're telling me he just killed, I mean, what, a two, three-year-old little girl? Like, that doesn't fit his M.O. And But what if, I mean, what if she saw him kill, I mean. Yeah, I mean, what if, what if, what if? But, like, what's the motive, right? He kills women. But he was killing women that he was having intimate relationships with for the most part. Except that one woman that he was, like, friends with her and her boyfriend. Although it sounds like they had, like, more of a long-term friendship. There was that one. There was the colleague who he tried to cure bronchitis for. But again, then, like, that's someone he, like, had a relationship with. I mean, no. this woman – no, no, no. But, like, more so than just, like, she lived upstairs to him. Yeah, she was his neighbor. I mean, they were they were neighbors. But she wasn't sexually assaulted. Right? Neither was, neither was Ethel and neither was the six-month pregnant woman and neither was – No, you said the six-month pregnant woman was – Okay, let's sorry, let's say oh. her name. Let's say oh. her name. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, they, Rita Nelson. Yep, he he did yeah. sexually assault them. Yeah, he, yeah, afterwards. So Ethel, okay, I think that's different because that's his wife. I don't, I'm just saying, I don't think just because, like, okay, I think this happens a lot in true crime. This like, oh, this case. Well, I bet it was this serial killer that did it, and it's like, what evidence do you have of that? Like now i'm really waiting in it you know like people say like oh Heyman lee she could have been murdered by x y and z serial killer it's like what 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 evidence do you have of that besides that that serial killer lived in maryland at the time i feel Mm -hmm. like that's like this like we're so quick to pin any case we can on people that we know are committing violent crimes and we overlook the obvious which is that who would have the best motive for killing this woman and her child well the man she's married to Right? I mean, statistics tell us women are most at risk. The biggest threat to a woman is the person she is in an intimate relationship with. To So in that situation, that's Tim. Ooh. Oh, she fired up. I totally disagree with you. Okay. Respectfully, well, me, totally disagree respectfully. with you. Um, okay. Tell me, take your, take a side. Tell me where you're at. So I absolutely think that John did this. I think John... Okay. John took any opportunity he could to exert control and power over women, sounds like. Not all of his victims are women. They were all, um, they were all wrapped up in the same way, including Geraldine and Beryl. They were all found in the same locations. Yes. Um... I think it is – I don't think there's an argument that I, – I, I don't I don't support the idea that there are two, pe- two people willing to commit murder living in the same place. What, what do you mean that doesn't happen every day? I, I don't buy it in this instance. Really? Um, yeah. I think that Timothy – and this is like my issue with the death penalty. You have to be a hundred percent right a hundred percent of the time. Oh, you have to be, oh, Sarah, who said that first? 
Jillian Pensavalli. No, me. You got that from me. Oh. Yes. No, I didn't. Yes, I've said that on past episodes of this show. Because, Sarah, wow, I agree with you. I, yes, you have to be, that's the thing, like, the, no one should get the death penalty because, Dad, Mike, if you're listening, he's going to hate this. But you have to be 100% right 100% of the time for the death penalty to work. And our justice system is not capable of that. It's just not. I mean, but see, but I also think that there are certainly people who have been put to death who, like, should have been. I mean, but but you're willing to risk an innocent person being put to death? I mean, I don't love it, No. That's why I have issues with it. See, that's what I mean. I think I think you have to think about what price are you willing to pay. I'm willing to pay the price of having people that deserve the death penalty not get it and just, like, rot away in jail forever instead. I'd rather take that price than have to pay the price of an innocent person being put to death. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, I know that I don't love it, but I know that I don't not think it's warranted either. But, like, this case, right, if you think Tim is innocent, he was an innocent person that was put to death. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's terrible. Yeah. Wow. But I also think John Christie should have been put to death, too. I mean, because he's a monster. Like, Yeah, John John Christie sucks, but I don't think just because he sucks that means that he killed Beryl and Geraldine. Wow. What a weird hot take I feel like I'm taking on this. Yeah. I'm surprised. See, we we get like we take a week off the show and suddenly I'm like a new person. I know. Well, I finally do have to mention that in honor of Mike's big podcast <gasps> debut last Mike, week. Mike, you did so this great. Is, this is the case that he sent me like <gasps> oh, it months is? ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so big thank you to dad for Aww. the suggestion. Um in true dad fashion, he said in his email, "Here's the link to um the podcast which i'm so sorry i forgot to mention before now um there is a podcast on this so history this week phenomenal podcast i was listening to them all day oh, um maybe i'll go listen to that tonight yeah their episode called a serial killer helps abolish the death penalty mm, okay um go that's check where it, this go check from. that out guys yeah so dad said here's the link to the podcast about the case i was telling you about i thought this one might interest you for several reasons I found it kind of cool, actually, which is the most important reason. So thanks, Dad. Thanks, You are an Dad. absolute national treasure. We really appreciate you. Um, well, guys, wreck. write in about what side you take. I feel really strongly about my side. Yeah, I feel really strongly about mine, and I'm kind of mad you don't agree with me. I'm also feeling a little mad. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's end this All before right, we yell well, at each other. Yes. So there you have it. Sarah over there with your long hair flipped over your shoulder like a little podcast star that you are. Long hair, don't care. Um, yeah, excellent man. job, my friend. That was very interesting. Thanks. I thought so too. Yeah. I um I don't know, man. I'm well, glad it was one you have like hadn't heard of before. Haven't heard it before. You did a great job. Thanks. Um, so yeah, you. Um do you want our Thank listener you. question? I would love a listener question. Okay. Um, so this actually came in through an email, and it was kind of part of like a longer email. Thank you so much. But um, we had a listener ask, Sarah, what is your dream or goal for this podcast? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I love that question. And I also – so, like, initially my dream was just to, like, do it. Like, let's yeah. just, like, talk to each other for an hour once a week about like true crime yeah because we love to do that anyway but I don't know like then we started doing it and like I would love to see this grow big enough that we could warrant like starting a network to be I honest know, with that's you. like your that would be my like ultimate like dream goal um there's so many people in our lives who I think would be like just killer co- podcast hosts and like I'd love to see like I'd love to create a space where like they get to do that on like not necessarily our format, but like with our like, yeah. Just does that make, I, I'm making no like, like noise, under but our umbre- <laughs> under our like umbrella of content creation. Yeah, like I feel like yeah. we are kind of niche in a way where like yeah. we just like we just kind of we just do like 
and whatever we produce, like we produce. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think there's so many people in our lives who um, would be really good at that. And yeah. I'd love to give them a space to do that. So I don't know. That's I kind of that. where like I'd love to see it go. What about what is your what about you? What What do you think? For me, it's doing a live show. I just like Ooh, I don't know right. what it is. Yeah. Like I just like have this like vision in my mind, and like I'm gonna speak it into reality here. I just have this like vision in my mind of like you and I like going out on stage in front of like hundreds of other people that just like love true crime and love to sit around and talk about it and just like chatting about true crime like I just Mm -hmm. I don't know that's what I see for us one day and like that's what I think of every time I'm like I don't fucking feel like editing this episode or like I don't fucking feel like researching a case like you know I, I keep in mind that like I don't know I see us there one day I love that so much we're gonna do it girl girl Crime Con 2052, here we come. <laughs> oh, I actually, I submitted our application for Crime Con 2024 to be featured on Podcast Row. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did that this week. So, guys, I don't I mean, if any of y'all work at Crime Con, <laughs> call me. <laughs> if you're going to Crime Con next week, it's, um... Oh, my God, I know. I'm so JK jealous. In two weeks. No, next week. Yeah, it's, um, like, the 28th through the 1st, I think. Yeah. Um... It's in Florida. I actually, um, a good friend of, of ours, uh, just moved down to Florida not that long ago. And, um, when she moved, she was like, oh my gosh, like you guys have to come down. Like the boys can go golf. We'll go to CrimeCon. Oh and I was like, oh, I can't go without my sister. Hey, I'm speaking it now. Next year we're going, we're going to be on podcast row next year. Okay. Mark our words. Mark our words. Yeah. Okay. Anything um, else for the good of the people? Um, I just or want to everyone... We- Get a off happy... so, so that we can go have birthday cake for we Henry's birthday. We are going to go have birthday cake. I know. Um, I would like to um, wish happy birthday to our cousin today. Yeah. It's his 18th birthday. And to our sweet little Henry. Henry. Whose birthday is also today. Yeah. And it's National Cheeseburger Day. So okay. everyone should go eat a cheeseburger. Unless you're Emily and you don't eat meat. And then you should eat an Impossible Burger. Okay. That's so your fun fact for the day. Great. Okay. Hey. All right. Well, on that note. Okay. Well, I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. <laughs> and this is Sisters Take a Side.